Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. But go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter one. Are y'all okay today? Come on, my favorite service. Some of y'all aren't budging. Some of y'all are still just like, Who, what is this guy talking about? Anyway, go ahead and go look at Ephesians 1. We're back in our series that we started weeks ago. This is actually part five. And uh, just so you know where we are, uh, we are in the first chapter still. And this is the fifth message. Y'all okay with that? All right, well... We got more work to do in chapter one, but I'm just going verse by verse, line by line. We'll be done when we're done. But if you're taking notes today, uh, the title of my message with the help of Stevie Wonder is this, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Can y'all say it with me? Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help today. Can we lift our hands toward the Lord right now? God, we ask for your help today. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would give us the ability by the Spirit to understand your word, and not just to understand it, not just for revelation, but Lord, we need transformation today. And Jesus, I'm asking that you would be glorified. Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus. Show us Jesus. I pray that Jesus would show off through the preaching of the word of God, that we would see him more clearly for who he is. And Father, we thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for being so good to us. And so, Lord, we ask for your help today. We ask for divine assistance from on high to help us here below. And we pray these things now in the awesome name of Jesus. And everyone sit. Amen. All right. Well, for the last several weeks, we have been looking at the blessings that we have in him. And y'all know who that him is, don't you? By now, who's the him? In Jesus. We've been looking at the blessings that we have as believers that we have in him. And so today we're going to pick it back up in verse 11. And we're going to look at verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. Okay, so not many verses, but we're going to look at the power of these verses that I'm going to seek to bring application to your lives as I preach it. But Uh, These are the final in hymns that we're going to look at, uh, that Paul gives us in this opening chapter. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11, and uh, let's see what Paul, let's see ultimately what God has to say to us. Here's what Paul writes. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, say it with me, of him, let's do it again, of him who works all things according to the counsel of, say it with me, his will, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of, say it with me, of his glory. Now, This language is so important. Over and over again, Paul is giving credit where credit is due. He's directing attention to what God has done, to what Jesus has done for us. So let's take a step back for just a minute before we go forward, and let's do a little review here. Uh, In this opening chapter, first of all, Paul tells us where we are. Now, okay, I've done this before. I promise this is the last time I'll do it. Where are you right now? It's not a trick question. You are where? At church, or you could say in church, you're in the congregation. Is that true? (laughs) 
Simple question, okay? Uh, last time I'm going to ask, okay, at least from the pulpit. I'm going to ask you where you live, and I want everybody at once to say the city that you live in, okay, or wherever you live. Okay, one, two, three. Where do you live? Really? Okay, most. All right. Let me do it one more time. Where do you live? Okay, just one more time. I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, when I ask where you live, give me the zip code. Everybody say your zip code all at once. Where do y'all live? Okay, okay. So, 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 so Paul, in his letter, that sounds like y'all are speaking in tongues. In Paul's letter, remember, he's, he's writing this to the churches in Ephesus, okay? So this was originally to them, not to us. But we lean in on this because it, it affects us, right? Paul, by extension, is also addressing where we live. But he's really addressing, first and foremost, where the Ephesians live. They, they, they lived in Ephesus, but their real zip code, and your real zip code is where? In whom? In Christ. So thank God you live in America. How many of y'all are thankful to live in this country, though it has problems? Yes. But how many of y'all are thankful we live in America? We live in Lafayette. You live in the place you live in. We're thankful for that. But Paul's helping us get this straight. The thing that we should be most grateful for is that our zip code, our address is in Christ, in him. And how many of y'all know in him, that's the place that we find peace. That's the place we find joy. That's the place we find purpose, not in alcohol, not in drugs, not in the things of the world, not in you fill in the blank. Peace and joy are not found there. Peace and joy are found exclusively where? In, how many of y'all know that's true from your own experience? Like you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You say, that's, that's my experience. There's no place I'd rather be but in him. So. Yeah, right? So you can live in another place, in a bad place. You can go through hellish circumstances, but if you're in him, you can have abiding peace and joy. How many of y'all know it's true from your own experience? And so if you're in him today, if you're in relationship with him, not just in church, but in relationship with Jesus, if you're truly in him, then you know all the benefits that come with that. It's just the way it works because we're in relationship with God himself if we're in Christ. And so first of all, Paul tells us where we are. Where are we? In him. But he also tells us what we have in particular. So it's not just up to our imagination. Paul tells us what exactly we have. What do we have? Well, according to verse seven, we have redemption. I said it last Sunday. Let me say it again. Because of Jesus' blood, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. How many of y'all are thankful for that? You've been delivered from the power of sin. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are slaves to Jesus. And only slavery to him gives you true freedom in life, as R.C. Sproul says. Can you give him praise for that? That's what you have in him. Redemption. And I love that Revelation 5, 9 tells us that by his blood, Jesus ransomed people. He's talking about you. For God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. How many of y'all are thankful that Jesus died for the nations? Y'all know we are the nation, one of the nations he died for. Okay, people out of America, people out of the nations across the world, from Asia to North America to South America. How many of y'all know Jesus is in the redeeming business? Delivering people from the world, giving us a new zip code, giving us a new address. We're in him. Come on, y'all. We're in him today. That's what he's trying to get across. John says that he's ransomed people for God from every tribe. So, hey, we're a part of that today. 
But how many of y'all know there are more people that God wants to redeem and that God will redeem? And sometimes we get so stuck on what he's doing locally, we can lose sight of what he's doing internationally on the mission field in Asia. Come on, y'all. Australia. God is working in nations, in continents, continents across the world. And y'all know this. We have brothers and sisters here in Acadiana, but we also have brothers and sisters in the Middle East. We have brothers and sisters in Russia. We have brothers and sisters all across the world. And we have a lot of things in common, but here's the big one. In Christ, we all have redemption. We all have freedom because of the blood of Jesus. That's something to be excited about. And may our cry be the cry of the Moravian missionaries who declared, may the lamb receive for his suffering. May the lamb receive the full reward of his suffering. What is that reward? That billions of people come to know God through Jesus' death. May that be our prayer cry. But here's what I, here's what I want you to see. According to Paul, every person that is redeemed by Jesus, is that you? Okay. Every person that is redeemed by him is God's prized and treasured reward. Or we can say it this way in the language of Deuteronomy 14 too. We are God's prized, treasured possessions. Now think about that language for just a second before I go any farther. Sometimes, even as believers, we have the temptation to listen to other voices. We can listen to other voices telling us who we are. Sometimes we wrongly listen to our own voice saying who we are, but one of the worst things we can do is self-identify. Let me say that again. One of the worst things we can do is self-identify. One of the best things you can do is let God, your creator, tell you who you are and whose you are. Let the creator decide, and he's spoken pretty clearly on it. And so when the world says I'm one thing, when my own flesh tells me I'm one thing, I have to go back to the word of God and let the word of God tell me who I am and who you are. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a a sinner by definition. You are a saint, a blood-bought saint of the living God. That's who you are. And when you understand that, man, it translates into the way you live, into the way you act, and it affects the the peace, determines the peace that you will have as a child of God. But listen here, the language is that we are his treasured. Everybody say treasured. Treasured possessions. So we're not old news. You're not old news. You're not damaged goods. You haven't been picked over or left left out. No, in, in him, you have been chosen. God chose you before the foundation of the world that you would be in Christ today. And he didn't see anything good in you that'd be like, okay, okay, he's so good, she's so good, I'm gonna choose him. No, it wasn't based on you being good or bad. His choosing was just based on the fact that he loves you. He loves you. And before the world began, he set his affection on you and he calls you his treasured possessions. Boy, that should should affect the way we live, shouldn't it? And we don't walk around arrogantly. We don't walk around with, with pride, do we? No, because his choosing wasn't because of anything good or bad. It was surely on the basis of his love. So Lord, I'm chosen. I'm chosen just for some reason, you decided to choose me, to elect me, to select me, to draw me, to fill me, and to give me every good blessing that you can give. How many of y'all know that's all grace? It's all grace. It is all grace. 
And so all we can say is thank you, Lord. Come on, how many of y'all are thankful today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. And so Paul says this. In him, everybody say in him. In him, he says in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Let me stop right there. Here's the way I want you to think about this, because this can be translated to mean both elements of what I'm going to share. On one hand, we are God's inheritance. We collectively, we, we are his inheritance. Through Christ, God inherits us. That's a reward for him. But on the other hand, because we are his inheritance, because we're in him, we also have an inheritance. Do y'all see that? It works both ways. Let, let me say it perhaps more simply. Through Jesus, God gets us, and through Jesus, we get God. Does that make sense? So God pursued us through Christ, and because of Christ's sacrificial death, he ransomed us, and we are the reward of Jesus' suffering, and we're brought in relationship with Jesus, but also by necessity, we're also in relationship with God. We are his, we are his inheritance. Does that make sense? But, but simultaneously, we also have the truth here that, that not only are we his inheritance, we have an inheritance in him. So, I mean, no matter how you turn, it's good news, isn't it? We are this and we have this because of Jesus' death, because of his shed blood for us. And so, let me say it this way. When, when you get saved, when you got saved, when you became born again, here's the question. What do you get? Well, you could say a lot of things, right? Peace, joy, and all that. Yes, yes, sure, absolutely. But let, let me fill in some blanks here. Maybe you didn't understand this perhaps fully when you got saved. When you get saved, you are saved from something, the penalty of sin, but ultimately you are saved for something. You are saved for a relationship with God. And see, the sin has to be dealt with. The penalty has to be dealt with so that you can enter into the presence of God and enjoy his presence forever. Does that make sense? So when you get saved, we use that language today, what does saved mean? Saved from sin, the consequences of sin, saved from the wrath of God, but saved for a relationship with God forever. Boy, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? And that's like hard to wrap your mind around. Let me, let me help you all though. The God who spoke a hundred billion galaxies into existence. The God who brings, so to speak, the sun up every day. The God who creatively made the world and the stars and everything. The God of all love and creation decided before the world was created that he would put his love, set his love on you and in time and space draw you into a relationship with himself. And when you're drawn to him, you get him forever. That's what you get when you get saved. The corollary, the result of that is joy, peace, forgiveness. You get all that, but that's because you get him. How many of y'all are thankful to have him? I've lived apart from him and I've lived in him. I've tasted and I've seen that there's no one like him. There's no one like him. That's what Paul's, I think, trying to get across to us today. So in, in him, you get God. <laughs> what? Now, some people are like, well, of course I do. No, no, you didn't deserve God. Don't you understand? You didn't deserve him. But because of Christ, you get him. You get Christ. You get God. And so our inheritance, our redemption is guaranteed 
by the blood of Jesus. We can say it this way. Your redemption is signed in the blood of Jesus. He did that for you. And he did it for me. When he died on the cross, he purchased us. But Paul goes on to say this in verse 11. He says that having been predestined, we were predestined according to the purpose of him, of him, who works all things according to the counsel of, of, of whose will? Of his own will, which, let me stop right there. It never fails whenever I preach this and I talk about predestination. There's someone who, who listens. They're like, okay, God chose me, but didn't I choose God? Like, what about my choice in all this? Maybe, maybe you're thinking about that. Like, what about my choice? Well, of course you make choices. And we're going to get into this in more detail later. But Paul's concern in this opening chapter is not you and your choice. His concern is not what I've done or what you've done. Do y'all see verse by verse, truth by truth, Paul is giving credit to what God has done. Okay, so instead of coming up with clever theological systems to get around this, how about we just embrace the fact that God chose us and he just loves us and let's just get over it. Can we do that? Like there's some people like, they're trying to like get around it. And I'm like, why would you do that? Just embrace it. In other words, you've been adopted. You have an inheritance. You've been redeemed. And it wasn't the flip of the coin or some arbitrary decision. No, it was according to the counsel of God's own will. What does that mean? I have no idea. Except it was after the counsel of his, say it with me, his own will. Can we rest in that and give your, give your life, the rest of your life to, yes, studying that, but my God, rest in the eternal love of God that he has for you. Can I get an amen? amen. But Paul says in verse 12, so that we, now we jump into this like, ooh, that's us. Well, hold on. He says, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of whose glory? His glory. Now, Paul says we. We. Who's the we? Well, back in verse 7, we see we there. It's the same we there, same we, we here, same we. He's referring to all believers. He's referring to himself, those who are with him, but by extension, those who are in the, the churches in Ephesus. He's referring to all believers, Gentiles, and by extension, Jews, Jews by extension, Gentiles. I mean, all Christians, we, he says, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So what does this first to hope in Christ mean? Well, I believe that Daryl Bach, a New Testament scholar, is right in saying that Paul is referring to this first, the first to hope in Christ. This means the first generation of believers, the first generation of Jews and Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. We who are the first, meaning the first generation, and of course, there are many generations since that time. We, in a latter generation, we have been grafted and we come in, but Paul's saying we who are the first, meaning first generation, this all happened for the praise of his glory. And so here's what I want you to see. Our deliverance, our deliverance, and our inheritance, they are sealed, signed, and sealed in the blood of Jesus. He did that for us. But listen, let's keep going. Verse 13, let's, let's go there. Paul says, in him, you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of whose glory? (laughs) Y'all see what's going on? Paul really wants to give glory to God for all of this. But he says, in him you also. So verse 12, we. Verse 13, you also. Question, who's the you also? Well, if you look up in verse 2, well, Paul addresses the churches there as you. Second person plural. He does it again here in verse 13. He's referring to the same group and he's placing emphasis on it. In him you also. You who believe at Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, all believers, something special, something supernatural took place when you heard and when you believed. Are y'all with me? Let me ask y'all a question. Do you remember when you heard the gospel and believed the gospel? Not just heard it, but heard it and believed it. Do y'all remember when that happened? Raise your hand if that happened here or at any Our Savior's Church. Let me see your hands. You heard the gospel. Let me see your hands. I can't see. Let me put my glasses on a little bit. Oh, there you are. Okay, okay, great. I hate wearing these things. Watch. So raise your hand if you, if you remember when you got saved at another church. You remember like what happened. Let me see your hands. Do we have, uh, raise your hand if you grew up Catholic. Let me see Catholic hands, Catholic hands. Down, down, down. Baptist hands, Baptist hands. Down, down. Uh, Methodist hands. Come on. Thank you. I'm, welcome, Methodist. We got all kinds of people from different backgrounds. Welcome to the house of God. But wherever you were, do you remember when you heard Maybe it wasn't even in, in a church service. Maybe it was at Starbucks or some other place, at a coffee shop, out there, wherever. Do you remember when you heard and you believed? Do you remember how you felt? And I know it's not all about feelings, but let's go with it for a minute. How many of y'all felt something when you got saved, when you became born again? Okay, well, that's the work of God. Uh, we can't be led by our emotions, but when God moves, it's certainly supernaturally natural to experience really good emotions. How many of y'all felt freed when you gave your life to Christ? Everybody, <laughs> you better. <laughs> Hopefully y'all felt that way. Freed, cleansed. A lady just came up to me at the end of the first service, and she came up, um, I don't know how old she was, a little bit older, and she, she said, Pastor Scott, thank you for that message, because today I finally feel forgiven. And I'm like, praise God. God wants you to leave here fully pardoned with full assurance that you are God's own. And that happens through faith and repentance, right? But how many of y'all remember? I remember. I don't remember the day. I can't. I know it was in August of 2000. I don't know the calendar date exactly. I don't know the exact time. But I, I know that I heard this man preach. Other people had spoken into my life, and so it was like a, probably an accumulation of many voices. But I remember when I heard this man preach, and I, and I believed the gospel. And I believed the word, John 8, that was preached that, that night. I remember, and, and I know that based on what I heard, there was a response. I knew I was forgiven. I knew, I knew that my life was never going to be the same again. I knew, I just knew that I was going to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. How many, how many of y'all can testify the same thing? You, you knew certain things. Based on what you heard, it translates, and then, and then you respond with confidence of some things that 
you knew? Well, I was fully aware of some things that God did at that time. But I later came to realize that God did more at that time and is doing more at this time than I even realized. Y'all know that's the kind of God you serve? As John Piper says, God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And you're probably aware of a handful of those things. God is working behind the scenes of your life. God is working, preparing things for us, things that, that, that we don't know the details about, but we just know that it's from God. And if it's from God, it must be good, right? He, he's working. He's worked. He's working. He, he will continue to work. The, so the future in Christ, the, the, the forecast is bright. Your circumstances may be terrible, but, but in Christ, you've got every good promise to look forward to, right? I knew God saved me. I knew I was born again. I knew heaven was my home. But there were some things that he did in my life at that time that I did not know were taking place at that time. L let me explain it this way. Um, when you get born again, when you get saved, that's just you stepping in to a new relationship with God. Alive on the inside, fully forgiven. But watch this. You can get born again at 50, have great experience in the world, that is not sinful experience, but just wisdom from living all the way from your earliest memory up to that point in life at 50. But when you become born again, you're that. You're born again, and you're a spiritual infant. And how many of y'all know? That's okay. You got to start somewhere. But when you get born again, when you become saved, then I like to say it this way. Then the responsibility is ours to study the word of God, to find out more of the details concerning what happened when we got saved and what God is doing in our lives because we're being saved. In other words, you don't get it all right when you become born again. A, a part of Christian maturity is going back to the word over and over again, leaning into the word and letting the word speak to us, letting the word define us and letting the word tell us what happened when we got saved and what God's doing as we're being saved. Does that make sense? So, so it bothers me. Can I share a burden with y'all? Say yes, because I'm gonna do it anyway. When Christians get a ticket, so to speak, to go to heaven, and they think Christianity is just about getting guilt removed from their conscience. Thank God that happens. But they're not interested, many are not interested in getting deeper, going deeper. And they'll say things like this. Well, Pastor Scott, that's all that doctrine stuff. I just want Jesus. That drives me crazy. Can I be honest? That drives me crazy. If I listen to you talk five minutes or less about your faith in Jesus, you're going to be speaking doctrine. You're gonna be doing theology. It's either you have good theology or bad theology. So doctrine is not like what I do. Doctrine and theology are what we do. That helps us understand the word of God and who we are in him. So you're all theologians if you're in him. But some, they just wanna stay on the surface. I'm going to heaven, that's all I need to know. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And first of all, I'm like, thank God you're going to heaven. But listen, there's so much in the word of God to behold, to understand. There's so much in the word that, I mean, I, I can preach, I could preach for hours, hours, maybe messages and weeks on one verse. 
and still not exhaust the truth within it. Are y'all with me? And, and so we'll skim the surface. Well, that's not really for me. Listen, if you're in him, the word is for you. And it is for me. It's for us. And by the word, we grow up. By it, we get a fuller understanding of what happened, what is happening, and what will happen in him. Does that make sense? So let me give you another example of how this works out. I don't remember how old I was, but <laughs> I don't remember my first birthday party. But the first birthday party I remember, right around that time, my mom explained to me that a birthday party was that time when they celebrated my what? Not a trick question, my what? My birth, right, into this world, okay. So my mom used language like, baby, Scott, you came from mommy, mommy's belly, you came from me. Now how many of y'all know, you tell a young person that, that can be very confusing. Okay, are y'all with me? I came from you, but how did I come from you? And how did I get in you to begin with? Right? You remember all those questions in your head? So I, I knew that my, what my mom said was true, that that I was born at that time when I was very young, but I didn't know why I was born and I didn't know the details of how I was born. I didn't, all I knew is that, that I was. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? You know today, you, you, you are here, right? That, that's self-awareness. You're here. I knew I was, I was there. I knew that I was born, but I didn't know why. I didn't know how. I didn't know the details. Well, that is until I started to grow up a little bit. And due to the influence of my friends, now we didn't have smartphones back then. Thank you, Jesus, we didn't have social media when I was in high school. That's all I'm going to say right there. Okay, but backing it up, due to the influence of my friends and due to, at least in part, the influence of my mother who left the, listen, the what's happening to my body book in my bedroom, she just left it there. And I walked in one day and there was this book in my room called the what's happening to my body book. <laughs> Are y'all picking up when I'm laying down? Do y'all understand what that type of book is? The type of book that helps you understand <laughs> why you were born <laughs> to some extent, but even more, how you're born. It backs it up all the way to conception. And how many of y'all know with our, with our birth into this world, way before that, there are a lot of factors in that. There's the emotional factor between your parents. You're here today because your parents really liked one another. Can I get an amen? Are y'all glad about that? There's an emotional element. And I'm not being funny. This is just the logic of it. There's the, the emotional element between your parents, but there's the physical element. But then there's the internal biological element of conception, right? But then later, what? Birth. Now, as young people, we don't know about any of those details until somebody leaves the what's happening to my body book in our room. Or we have some friends who come around and give us the bad version, the, you know, the messy version of all that. Listen, that book that I just referred to it's helpful, but Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that book for us because it tells us that the Father chose us, that the Son redeemed us, 
that we have redemption and we have freedom in Jesus because of God's doing. Oh, you mean I'm not an accident? No, you're not an accident. This didn't just happen. You weren't just born into this world. You weren't born again because of some just random event. No, God predestined you to be his prized, treasured possession. You're not old news. You're not damaged goods. You're his. And you're here today, alive today, and alive in him today because God did it. And he did it through the blood of his son. Now, some of that we get when we got saved. But do y'all understand the statement, Jesus died for sinners? Do you understand? It's very simple, isn't it? On one hand. On the other, do you understand the profundity of that statement? What goes into that statement? What comes before it? What's in it? And what comes out as a result of it? Do you understand? Well, we do in part, don't we? But that's why you keep coming back to church and I keep preaching the word. So layer after layer, word after word, we can understand and grow up and know who we are and whose we are. Does that make sense? We're growing into these truths. On one hand, a child can understand. On the other hand, adults with PhDs can study the word of God for the rest of their lives and never fully understand, but still we grow. Come on, can we grow together? Can we, can we, can we go on a journey growing together? Let's do it together. Because here's what Paul says. Let me begin to transition to our conclusion. Here's what he says. Verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, this is huge. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you know that that happened when you got saved? When you, when you heard... When you heard and you believed, the vast majority, I would assume, you did not know that when that happened, that you got sealed with the Holy Spirit. You knew that you were saved. You knew that you were forgiven. You knew Jesus is king and is the only way to the Father. But you probably did not know that God did something else at that time that was true, but you were fully unaware of. You were sealed with the spirit, the promised spirit, promised by Jesus. So y'all been awesome. Stick with me. According to Paul, hearing plus believing results in our sealing. You see that? And he says, when you heard and believed, the result was this. You were, I was, we were Sealed. What, what is the seal? Well, a seal was a mark that identified someone's ownership of something. Now, in the ancient world, like today, there are different kinds of seals. A seal could also be something on a container that keeps certain goods um, uh, from being destroyed. Uh, there was a preserving element in some seals. But here, Paul is probably referring to the type of seal that would, yes, protect something, but if it was a document, yes, keep it from being open. But it, on the other hand, it was something that once opened, it identified. That seal identified because the mark of the seal, it identified ownership of something, or in our case, of someone. So we were sealed. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Sealing of the Spirit, watch this, y'all, marks us as God's very own treasured possessions in the world. 
In other words, God marks his own. He marked you when he saved you. As believers, we carry that mark. We bear that mark. First of all, we have Jesus' name, which we should be very proud of it. Shouldn't we be proud of that name? We should be very proud of it. But we don't just profess the name. How many of y'all know we're also called to submit to the name and honor the name? We have the Holy Spirit who seals us. He marks us and he sets us apart in the world. We're not of it, but we're still in it. But we're set apart as his very own. And that is a huge truth. You are God's very own. Let me give you one more example of how this works out. I had no idea until years later that after my mom gave birth to me, that before she left the hospital, she had to sign a birth certificate. Now, I don't know, I don't remember signing any for my kids. Um, I haven't looked, I don't remember. Maybe both uh, the, the, the father and the mother are supposed to do it. All I know is when I was born, they just required my mother's signature. Before I left the hospital, and I, and I pulled out my birth certificate last night just to verify all this, to make sure I got all my facts straight. I pulled it out, and uh, there it was, January 20th, January 20th, 1978. I just had a birthday, so if y'all missed it, you can catch up. Uh, I'm teasing. Thank y'all for being so generous. January 20th, 1978, and, and there was all the info. It told, me, it told me who I am, who I was, but then it had my, my dad's name typewritered out, typed out, my mom's name, and then it had my mom's signature verifying that I was her very own son that she brought into this world. And down at the bottom, there is a seal, the hospital seal right beside her signature. And so if there's ever any doubt who I belong to, I knew in days, years, I should say, to come who I belonged to. They knew I was their son, but we had the official documentation that legally settled it all, that I was the son of Rex and Marianne Adams. Does that make sense? This is a picture of what happened to us and for us when we got saved, when we heard and when we believed, our salvation was signed in the blood of Jesus. Our redemption and the assurance of it was sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you ever wonder who you are, all you have to do is go to God's word. The Father tells you who you are. And the Spirit of God says yes and amen. He tells us who we are. God assures us of who we are. And how many of y'all know, I said it earlier, Jesus not only saves us from something, he saves us for something. He saves us for a relationship with God, but he also saves us for a relationship with one another. And let me tell you this right now, listen to my voice carefully. Let me just speak the psalmist over you. Though your father, though your mother forsake you, though your family forsake you, the Lord says he will bring you in. 
We will bring you in. Though you have no supportive natural family, we honor you honor, honor the best you can. But, but who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God. This is a spiritual family that Jesus died to bring you into. And as imperfect as it is, this is your family. And I might preach long every now and then. Every now and then, like every Sunday. Somebody might be off key. Not, 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 not you, Madison. Somebody might in our worship might be off key. Lean in. Who cares? This is family. This is where Jesus is exalted. This is where relationships are formed. This is where we grow together. This is where we all sealed with the Holy Spirit have assurance with one another that we are the blood-bought children of the living God. And this is all his doing. This is all God's doing. You know, when you really get saved, saved, and you become born again and you begin to follow Jesus, He's not just gonna ask, like, do you mind? He's, not gonna do, he's actually not gonna do that at all. He's not gonna say, do you mind? He commands us. It's an imperative, a command. Pick up your cross and follow me. Crucify the sin that's in your life. It's not a, like Jesus said, like, if you get around to it, like, if you don't mind, it doesn't. Crucify the flesh crucify sin. Put to death whatever is in you, whatever is earthly in you, put it to death. And like we hear that and we're like, oh man, I, I gotta, that means I've got to end a relationship that I shouldn't be in anyway, but I am because I don't know who I am and whose I am, but okay, it means I have to get rid of that relationship. And we start going down our fingers of all the things that we can't have. And then we're like this. Like God, can I have any fun? Some people think that way. God will ask you to drop all the sinful, earthly things that you hold in your hands. Drop it, crucify it. But I promise, what you give up cannot begin to compare what you gain in him because when you get God you get all of his promises that are better than anything your hands can hold so yeah there's some things you've got to give up but y'all brothers and sisters what we gain if y'all let me ask you a question have y'all ever been in the presence of God and you felt his presence in such a tangible way. There's a truth that was preached, a truth that you read, and you, you beheld that truth. And it was like this sublime, like otherworldly experience that you had where you were, you were able to push aside the things of the world and it's like you were caught up to the throne room of God and you, you just, you knew you were in the very presence of God. Have y'all had those moments? I've had them with music. I've had those moments without music, but never without the truth from the word of God.
those moments, those sublime otherworldly moments, they come and go. For most Christians, that's not something that they experience every day to that extent. So we walk by faith and not by, and not by feeling, right? But how many of you are thankful when you do have that feeling when it's anchored in truth? Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of whose glory? The Spirit is the Araban, the down payment, the pledge of heaven that he gives to his beloved. He gives to us. And the Spirit guarantees. He offers otherworldly assurance that we are God's and that we have an inheritance and that we have been redeemed, but there's coming a day when we will be fully redeemed. So let me ask you all a question. Are you freed from the penalty of sin? Answer, in Christ? Let me ask you another question. Are you freed from the power of sin? Answer? Let me ask you one more. Do you still struggle with unbelief and sin in this life? Answer, all of you say it once. Yes. There's the paradox. Both are true. We have been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin. That's true. But then we still deal with the remnant of sin in our lives. We are all in some measure still going to struggle in this life with sin. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And anyone who says, 1 John says, if we say we don't have sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. How many of y'all would be truthful to admit you still have some sin? You've been freed by the blood, the penalty and the power are broken, but there's still the reality in some degree. Well, according to Paul, God gives us his spirit, he seals us, and he gives us the spirit as a guarantee. I love that language. As the guarantee of our inheritance of redemption until we acquire possession of it. Oh, I love that. What he's saying is here on earth, in the midst of the sin that we still struggle with, in the midst of this fallen world, God has given us his spirit, which is a taste of heaven. Just a taste of what's to come. Like at the mall, in the food court, the gal or the guy that hands you that little, that little sample on the toothpick, don't ever eat it. Trying to get you in to get more. How many of y'all know we have these moments in the Lord? We, we have these moments of, 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 of sublime worship and they can come and they can go in their intensity. But a day is coming. Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna liberate us from the bondage and the brokenness of sin and unbelief altogether. I need to hear that in my struggle. I need to hear that. When in this life, I don't always feel what I wanna feel. When things don't always go the way I want them to go in the Lord, I need the reminder of the Spirit as the pledge, as the seal that reminds me 
Are y'all ready? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And therefore, because we know that, don't you dare lose heart in your struggle. Don't you dare give up. You have the word of God. You have the blood of the lamb. And you have the sealing of the Holy Spirit to remind you all that you are signed, sealed, and delivered. And Lord, we're yours, both now and forevermore. We're his. Just a final question. Did you know all that happened? When you got saved, when you heard and believed, did you understand the, of course not. That's why you have to come to church. That's why you have to get in the word. That's why you have to get with and before teachers and preachers and even in your own time, you, you, let's get in the word of God to know who we are, to know whose we are and to know what we have in him. And by doing so, it doesn't remove the struggle. It just gives us perspective and power to get through it. Can I get an amen? You have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you, in you and with you. You're sealed if you're in him. You say, Pastor Scott, I don't, I don't feel it. Feelings are a tricky thing, aren't they? Don't live on the basis of how you feel. Live every day of your life on the basis of what God's word says. Build your life on his word. When you worship, you're caught up in truth. Feelings will come. Thank God for the joy. Thank God for the peace. I'm about to pray for you and you're gonna experience some of that now. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness.